Uh, our scripture reading today is going to be in Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 to 25. Uh, so if you want to open up your Bibles there. We have Bibles at the end of the pews as well. So if you don't have a Bible, you can use one of those. And if you don't own a Bible, uh, you're welcome to take one home as a gift from us. Uh, Daniel is, if you open up your Bible and you get to like Isaiah, Daniel's just a couple of books after that. Uh, so it's Daniel chapter 3, verses 13 to 25. Then Nebuchadnezzar, in furious rage, commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? Now if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I have made well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury, and the expression of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it was usually heated, and he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into this burning, fiery furnace. Now these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments, and they were thrown into the burning, fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning, fiery furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, Did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, True, O king. He answered and said, But I see four men unbound, walking in the midst of the fire, and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. I love this passage and cannot wait to get into it. Um, but before we do, uh, I wanted to share three numbers with you. Uh, they're important numbers, uh, particularly for next week when we head back into two services. Uh, the first number is 80. 80 kids. Uh, we have about 80 kids every Sunday who uh, hear about Jesus downstairs. Uh, there's uh, 70 to 80 kids every Sunday who hear about Jesus downstairs. They do crafts, they hear Bible stories, they get to know Christ uh, because uh, we're discipling them up in the ways of Jesus. Uh, that's 80 kids. The second number is 14. It takes about uh, 14 uh, of us, uh, folks here in the body, who say, I'm going to spend my time and my effort downstairs to disciple those 80 kids. It takes about 14 of us every Sunday when we run two services to disciple these kids. And the last number is infinity. Can you see their little eyes there looking up at their teacher as she teaches them? Uh, we are teaching these kids 
the ways of Jesus. And it will radically transform their lives. As they get to know how deeply loved they are by a God who chased them down through their son. Through his son. Uh, There's this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 6. It says this. Hear, O the well, community church. It doesn't say that. It says Israel, the people of God. Hear, O the well, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I commanded you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Uh, Here God calls us as his people to disciple his children in our families that we would kind of take every opportunity as we're walking along to bring the truths of God uh, to bear on our kids' lives and and then to intentionally teach these truths to our kids. And and we're doing that every Sunday with 80 kids and we, the family of God, man, we've got to invest our lives that these kids might grow up to know and love Jesus. Uh, So here's what I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you to jump in. We need men and women to jump in and serve our kids downstairs. Uh, If every family, if you've got kids and if you decided, uh, I'm going to serve just one Sunday a week, either in first or second service, I'm going to serve just one Sunday a week. If you've got kids, right? If you said, I'm going to do this, I'm actually going to say, hey, you should do this. If you've got kids, uh, would you say, I'm going to serve one Sunday a week? Uh, we, we, truthfully, at that moment, we wouldn't have to look for anybody else. <laughs> We'd be covered. The, uh, uh, the 14 volunteers needed to disciple our 80-some kids downstairs. It'd be covered if everyone with a kid said, one Sunday a month, I'm going to serve. But here's what I'm going to say. This is a family work, right, to disciple our kids. So if you don't have kids, if you're single, if you're in high school, if you're in college, uh, if you're older, would you, would you jump in and disciple these kids? Would you see eternity transformed in their lives as we make these investments week after week that they might know their Savior? Uh, so uh, the easiest way to do that, um, uh, we've, we just put sign-up sheets downstairs right at pickup. Uh, if, you, if you're not picking up a kid, you can just go downstairs. Uh, you can sign up for a specific date if you want. You can sign up just to say, hey, I will serve one Sunday a month. We'll get you everything you need uh, so that we can disciple these kids. And, and also, there's a huge benefit to this also that, do you hear that? It's quiet. <laughs> it's peaceful. Look, I love it when a kid's screaming. That's good, too. We're discipling our kids all, all together in worship up here, too. But... But we're, we're giving an opportunity for parents to worship and grow in the Lord, too. Uh, so uh, as we serve downstairs and kids are discipled, so we can also ourselves uh, grow in the knowledge and love of the Lord as our kids are taught in an age-appropriate way downstairs. So sign up this uh, morning as you drop off a kid, or if you don't have a kid, go down and sign up. Or you can email Lee. Here's her email address if you're like man i'm not gonna write down that whole thing just email info at the well silverspring.org and we'll get you plugged in as well all right uh, pray with me uh, both for the discipleship of our kids as we head into service next week and also let's pray in preparation uh, for hearing his word if you're able and willing would you uh, kneel and we'll come before the lord together
A father, 80-some little eyes, years, kids downstairs are hearing the good news of the gospel even right now. And we know, we know everyone else outside of our sphere is teaching them other things. But God, we know how deeply you love them and you love us as your sons and daughters. Would you mobilize our body right now as we head into worship next week to disciple our kids in a full-bore way? God, would we give our whole selves to seeing these kids come to know, love, and serve, and follow you? God, thank you for tooling. Thank you for all the volunteers who are giving their lives away for these kids. Would you add to our number for your purposes and your glory and the joy of these little kids as they grow up knowing you and serving you and following you? And God, even right now, uh, would each of us come before you and ask that you would speak to us in your scriptures that our lives would be transformed as well. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you this morning. And we pray that you would shape every piece of who we are to a new and greater, more steadfast allegiance and love to you. Talk to him silently. Ask him to draw you to himself and open your eyes and ears and minds and heart to the truths he has to share with you out of his scripture this morning. Father, speak to us in your word, we pray. Amen. All right, so we're heading into two services uh, next week, 9.30 and 11.15, 9.30 and 11.15. Uh, I would ask you to spread out. Uh, spread out if you, uh, you're like, man, I'm a one-service person. Come to second service, right? Uh, it's going to help in two ways. Uh, one, it's going to uh, create an atmosphere in here of worship and community that's going to help welcome new people, so spreading out will help with that. And it's also going to help as we serve downstairs like I just talked about. Uh, during second service, we'll have two full classrooms where we'll go through uh, the same gospel curriculum we're going through in the first service. And then first service, uh, we typically have a few more kids, so we'll have a, a bunch more classrooms, all right? Uh, so please spread out uh, next week as we head into worship. This uh, is one of my favorite stories in the scriptures because of the one line we're going to focus on in the middle of this response that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego give to King Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, it's a critical truth that we all need to live in, this, this kind of even-if faith. Uh, this, uh, this faith that follows Jesus even if we don't get what we want or think we need or desire. A faith that finds everything we're looking for in Him. Uh, we've been in this series, Good, Bad, and the Ugly, and uh, I want us to listen to this story with uh, Jesus' ears. Uh, look at this story with Jesus' eyes. Uh, uh, this idea that we, we are seeing all the Scriptures point to Christ. Remember, we've been talking about four ways this occurs. Uh, one is redemptive history, that every event in the Scriptures uh, moves a step closer to Christ. Jesus is coming. He's next as we move forward all the way from creation and fall to redemption and culmination. Uh, also, there are events in the Old Testament that foreshadow uh, events in the New Testament and point us towards Christ. Uh, and then there's prophecy in the Old Testament that's a, a, a direct statement of Jesus will be born here. Or when he's crucified, he won't have a bone broken or things like that. That uh, Jesus is this, he's foretold. And, and the one we've been focusing on is this idea of typology. Uh, that in the Old Testament, we'll have a person, uh, 
Uh, and sometimes they'll live out their faith in an amazing way and we'll say, wow, that person is amazing. And then it will point us forward to a Savior to come in Christ where we say, he is even more amazing. Man, he was a great king, but what a king we have in Christ. Or he spoke the words of God here, but here we have the word, the very revelation, uh, revelation of God, God himself in Christ. And then sometimes we'll have someone in the Old Testament, they'll uh, live in a super sinful way, and what we'll say in that moment is, oh man, I need a Savior like the one who is to come. That the people of the Old Testament, both in their amazingness, point to an even more amazing Savior, and in their sinfulness, point to the Savior who is to come. Uh, So let's read the Old Testament as we read the Old Testament with this lens pointing us to Christ. And that's what we'll do uh, this morning. And uh, we'll focus on Daniel chapter 3. And uh, we we, uh, preached a a similar uh, sermon a few years back when this book was written and and it came out, uh, even if uh, my... My best buddy wrote this, uh, Mitchell Lee, and he's a pastor here in the area and, and wrote just a wonderful book which focuses on the theme that comes out of Daniel chapter 3. Uh, this theme that even if our expectations, our hopes, our desires are not met, we would find ourselves like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, even if, even if you don't save us or give us this safety or this comfort or this thing or that thing or that relationship, Still, I will serve you. Still, I will worship you. I am in this for you and your glory. You are my God and Savior. All right, let's uh, head into the text. It's an amazing story. I just want to tell the story, and then we're going to focus hard into the response that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego give, that we might have a faith like theirs that clings to our Savior no matter what. All right, uh, here's the context. Uh, Go with me to chapter 1 of uh, Daniel. Daniel chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. It's in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and he besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. Uh, So here's the setting. Uh, remember, we've kind of been marching through the Old Testament. We uh, hit the kings where, uh, you know, these uh, kings r- rise up and lead God's people. And then the uh, kingdom is divided. You've got uh, the northern kingdom, and then you've got the southern kingdom. You've got the northern kingdom, Israel, and it's uh, pretty much wicked all the time. And then you've got the southern kingdom, Judah, and they're often faithful. And then there's this king, uh, Jehoiakim, but, and, and he is leading the people, and they have gone uh, completely wicked. And here's what the Lord does. He says, fine, Babylon will come in and they will crush you my people and it appears that the Lord is more interested in our allegiance than our comfort in our wickedness as we uh, pursue other ways for satisfaction as we decide to live for ourselves rather than God uh, God says fine have it your way and Nebuchadnezzar comes in and he crushes uh, Jerusalem what's happened is uh, Assyria has come in and already captured the northern region of Israel and now Babylon comes in and and crushes the south and then swallows up Assyria and now Persia later is going to come in and swallow them all up But right now, Nebuchadnezzar is king, king of Babylon, and captured the people of God. And they are full of unmet expectations. Man, we didn't think life would go this way. (laughs) 
what does Nebuchadnezzar do? You know, some, some kingdoms, they'll, they'll crucify all the people uh, that they capture. They'll uh, cut their heads off and hang them at the doorposts as you enter the city gates. But what Babylon does, and Nebuchadnezzar is so good at, is, is assimilating all the people into this new idol-worshiping culture. And so he takes the youth, he takes the cream of the crop here in chapter 1. All those of good appearance and skillful in wisdom. And he, he takes them all. He takes Daniel and his three friends and he teaches them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. It's a critical move, right? Taking over all of education and taking the literature and the language and teaching away opposite of God. And he begins to assimilate them in. He gives them new names. Daniel he calls Belshazzar, Hananiah he calls Shadrach, Mishael he calls Meshach, and Azariah he calls Abednego. Hananiah, which means God is gracious, he renames Shadrach, which means commander of the moon gods. Mishael, which means who is like our God, he calls Meshach, which means God. Uh, Mishael he calls Meshach, which means, well, sorry, I wrote it really small here. Who is like the moon god? <laughs> and Azariah, which means God is my helper, he calls Abednego, which means servant of God Nebu. A new literature, a new language, a new culture, and these people who are serving God wanting to be faithful to Him, God's people, find themselves in this situation where every expectation of God has a good and wonderful plan for your life is shattering. Maybe we believed that when we signed up to follow Jesus. God has a good and wonderful plan for your life, which is so true, right? If you define good and wonderful plan according to God's ways, not your own. A deeper joy, a deeper security, a deeper purpose. Life to the full found in Him even when it all crumbles. Daniel and his friends find themselves in a situation of unmet expectations. And it gets worse. And so they've lost everything. They're now captives. And in chapter 3, here's what Nebuchadnezzar decides. He's going to make an image of gold whose height is 60 cubits. Its breadth is 6 cubits. Uh, that's about 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. He makes a huge gold statue. And, and here's what he says. Uh, he gathers everyone together and the satraps and the prefects and the governors. A satrap, by the way, is just an, another word for governor or leader. Uh, I don't want that to hit you. He says it over and over again. And he, he gathers them all together and he says, hey, when I play the music, when I lead us all in worship, everyone bow down and worship this golden idol. And now the idol could be an idol of Nebuchadnezzar himself, uh, that uh, they might worship him as God and Lord, as, as he has shown his might and power and crushed God's people. Or it might be this kind of uh, conflation of all the gods, uh, Nebu and the moon gods and all these other gods of Babylon uh, that they're all supposed to uh, worship now. And, and here's the point though, in verse 12, he, he has said, I, I'm going to burn anyone who doesn't. But in verse 12 we read, hey, there are servants of certain Jews whom you've appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these men, O king, 
They pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. They are refusing to worship like you are calling them to worship. They're continuing to worship their God. They're not bowing down to your God, Nebuchadnezzar, or to you. So Nebuchadnezzar is furious in rage, verse 13. He commands that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought forward, and he brings these men before him. And Nebuchadnezzar is kind of scratching his head. He answers, is it true? Is it true? <laughs> don't, don't you know what I've done to your people? Don't you know how I, I, I brought in these chariots and, 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 and this, uh, all my uh, iron, and, and I brought this massive war machine. I've destroyed everything uh, that you value. Don't, is it true that, that you're going to stand against me? Oh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you're not going to serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, the pipe, the lyre, the trigon, the harp, the bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well then, well and good, you'll be fine. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? That moment of countercultural worship, that moment of saying, uh, Who are you going to live for? And see, these are the moments we signed up for when we said, I want to follow Jesus, right? I, I, I'm following a resurrected Jesus who's given his whole life for me. And, and that means uh, the way I spend my money, the way I work, the way I raise my families, the way I deal with my sexuality. Every piece of me is yours. It's counterculture, it's completely opposite of the world and the king of Babylon here says if you bow down and worship these gods that are not your gods you'll be fine but if you don't who's going to rescue you take account of the God that you're choosing to worship and decide is he does he have your back is he with you is he worthy of your worship See, God said this is how life will go following Jesus. Our expectations sometimes will, will crumble, sometimes through persecution when we're following Jesus in a countercultural way. He says like in, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12, don't be surprised at the painful trial you're suffering. And then sometimes just in the broken world as it, it falls apart in sin and brokenness or disease, like in James chapter 1, when we face trials of many kinds, See, God said, yes, it will be a wonderful and good life with me and following me, but sometimes you won't get to define what that looks like or how it goes, and it will be broken and it won't meet your expectations. As we head into an election cycle, will you know, well, I know, that what we'll be called to is to worship it's to say every piece of this or that I will bow down to. Whether you're on the right or the left, what we're called to is an allegiance, right? A worshiping of, of, of swallowing the whole thing here or there and saying, I'm with you, down to them and raise up us. As you step into your schools, know that you're being called to worship. Your kids are being called to worship. 
As we go to the mall, does anyone go to the mall anymore? <laughs> As you shop online, you're being called to worship. And Nebuchadnezzar says, bow down and worship. Take an account, he says. Who's going to save you? Who are you with? Their response blows me away. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They answered and they said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. Let me stop there for a second. We have no need to answer you in this matter. They are standing before the king of Babylon who has crushed their people. Uh, they have nothing. They've been renamed. They've lost it all. And they say, we got no need to even answer you. We know who our God is. We know who you are. We have no need to even answer. They're not angry at him. It doesn't say they're not like judging him. They're not like even criticizing they're just They're just standing there in a matter-of-fact kind of way saying, look, we know what is true. And it is incomparable. Listen to what they say. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the fiery furnace and He will deliver us out of your hand. O king, but if not, be it known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. See, there is no need to answer the king uh, Nebuchadnezzar because uh, when, when they compare the ability, the might, the power of God himself, the one true God whom they know and love and worship, they put him side by side uh, through this little ant of a man, Nebuchadnezzar, in the sight of the glorious creator God. They say, our God is able. He can save us. He can walk me through this fiery furnace and rescue me. He is able and He will. But then they say something that blows me even more away. But if not, even if He doesn't save us, even if He doesn't rescue us, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Our God is able, and our God is good. We know He is able to rescue, but even if He doesn't, He is still the good, trustworthy, faithful God whom we love and we will serve and we will worship no matter what. No matter what. Even if we burn. I want to step back and focus in how on earth could they say that? How could they live with this allegiance that gives them such freedom, such courage? I can imagine even such joy in the midst of what might be around the corner in their suffering. The first way there, I think, is they are focusing on the ability and the character of their God. Now, this is really interesting because for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they look back at their own personal story and they're like, man, I wanted to grow up uh, it, with my family, you know, worshiping my God, and then boom, it's gone. I kind of liked my name, boom, it's gone. 
I love the house I was living here. Boom, destroyed living in Babylon, modern day Iraq. They've lost everything. They look back and, and you know, maybe their first thought is not, my God is faithful. My God is good. He is able because over and over again, they've seen their lives crumble, right? That's at least how I would have interpreted the situation. Where was he when? But here's what I think this kind of shines light on is they have widened their data sample a bit. They have taken stock of who their God is, not just through their personal experience, and then I think they have viewed their personal experience through the realities of who their God is in the the evidence and in the information of this widened data sampling. The God of the Scriptures, the God of the saints, and then the God of their story. Uh, This is what I think we need to do when we are gauging the character and the ability of our God. It's to widen our data sample first and say, who is our God? Who is our God? And get to know Him deeply in these Scriptures. Read of how He has been faithful to His people. Read of how He's been faithful to us. Uh, See what He's done for us in Christ. How He's made us sons and daughters. Uh, and, And get to know our God in the Scriptures first and saying, this is our God. He is good and He is able. And then second, I need to uh, look around at the people in my life, the saints, right? I can uh, read in Hebrews chapter 11, I can see all these saints uh, uh, who followed God, and, and you got Noah, you got, you got Daniel, you got, all the, you got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph, and all these people who followed God, and he's shown his faithfulness, his goodness, even when it looked like life was falling apart. They lived with a, a, a strong, this steady obedience in the same direction, following their God. And then they realized at the end, man, He is faithful. He is good. We can look around to modern day saints too. Yeah, we got these friends. They, they're missionaries, giving their whole life away. You think, uh, right? When you think of expectations, you think, man, God's just going to bless them like crazy. And their six-year-old son dies on the mission field. And to watch them suffer and to watch them cling to the one true faithful God, it just blows your mind. You say, oh man, he has shown himself good and able and with them even in that. I've watched my father-in-law had his first open-heart surgery at age 30 and that's 30-some stints, stints within stints, been cast a hundred times plus. And to see his faith clinging to the faithful God, and you just say, man, I get to know the, the, the ability and the character of my God as he walks with my father-in-law in these things. We need to widen our data sampling. And then we can look back at our own story with the lenses of the Scriptures, the lenses of the saints, with a bullseye focus on our good and faithful God, and we could say, ah, oh, man, even when I lost my job back here, he showed himself so faithful. Even when I never got married, I've been longing for it, he showed himself a faithful, loving, good companion. 
Even when I longed for this child back here and, and he or she never came, he showed himself a present comfort and loving good father with me, his son, his daughter. And we see and focus on the ability and the character of our God. We can say with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even if we burn, I will follow you. You are my God whom I know and love. You are able and you are good. It's echoes of Esther. Remember uh, last week we, we met Esther. She's about 100 years just right after Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And, and she's going to stand before the king. Uh, this king is going to uh, slaughter all of her people, the Jews, and she herself is Jewish. And, and she says, man, even if I perish, uh, if I perish, I perish. <laughs> she says, I'm going in to be faithful to my God in that moment. It reminds me of Mephibosheth we looked at weeks ago, right? This, this picture of how God, our King, just like King David, has welcomed us to the table. We cripples, we rebels, He, he welcomes us in, right? He, he gives us a seat at His table as His sons and daughters. It reminds me of that line where Mephibosheth, he's, he's been kind of conned by Ziba, his servant, and, and David is coming to Mephibosheth and he realized, oh man, uh, I thought you'd left me. I thought you'd uh, abandoned me, Mephibosheth. And Mephibosheth said, no, man, I loved you the whole time. And Zebul was lying. And, and David had given all the possessions that he'd given to Mephibosheth. He'd given them to Zeba. And Mephibosheth says, no, I have been faithful the whole time. I, I love you. I, I serve you, my king. And David says, then I'm going to give you all your stuff back, half of it at least. And Mephibosheth says, Keep your stuff. All I want is you, my king. Uh, see, in these moments when we focus on the character and the ability of God, what we find is we then begin to worship our Savior, not Santa Claus. We're not in it for what we get from God. We are in it for God Himself, the one who is good, the one who is able, the one who is kind, the one who is our Savior, not our Santa Claus. But we often put on conditions, don't we? For us, it's not even if, right? Even if I burn. But we say, we say things like, only if. Only if. Only if I get this job, are you good, God? Only if you give this relationship can I trust and keep following you. Or we see things like, Oh, what if? All these conditions, right? We put all these conditions on the relationship with our God. What if it goes south? What if this doesn't turn out in the future the way I want it to? Or we look back in our past and put conditions there. If only you had not done this or that or allowed this or that in my life. Or if only I'd not sinned in this way, then I'd be useful for your service today. And God says, hey, get rid of the conditions. By grace, you are my son. By grace, you are my daughter. I am able and I am good. God says, follow me even if it all falls apart. So how, number one, to kill the conditions is to focus on the ability and the character of our God. The second way to live out this steadfast faith with our God is to kill the conditions. Kill the conditions. Here's what I mean. Here's what will happen in our lives. We'll have a desire, which is often a good desire. Uh, say, I, I want to be married, or I want this job, or I want to elevate in that way, or get this education, whatever. Some, a good desire, right? 
that desire will over time sometimes turn into a need, which is the deeper thing, the security or the purpose or the identity or the power or the satisfaction that this desire we think will give us if we get it. So it becomes this need, something we we must have. But then what happens is we attach it to an expectation of us before our God, a relational expectation of, man, this is something I I desired, I I really wanted, right? It's a good thing even. But then it became this deeper need uh, that I, I must have. And then we looked at our God and we said, I expect this from you, and if you are good, you will give it to me. And the way we kill... The condition is we look at what we must have, this deeper desire, whether it be satisfaction or security or validation or identity or embrace. Whatever we were longing for in that desire that's now become this need, we take that and we redirect it from this other thing back to our God Himself. Where yes, man, we would find security in a job and a paycheck there. But we step back and we say, who is my security? Who is my provision? And we redirect that deeper need or desire back to God himself. We kill the conditions. And then it allows us to live in the freedom of faithfulness and embrace and following our good and able God. Because when we have made something else God, we, we decide to become God in order to get that for ourselves. If this child or that relationship or this job or that advancement or this embrace, if that becomes God, if I must have that to receive this deeper satisfaction or deeper validation, that that thing has become God in our lives and then we will take control. We will leave our God to serve it. We have become God in order to get what we have made God. So redirect it. Our God is faithful. Our God is good. Uh, We went on a trip out west this summer. Uh, We we decided it would be a great idea to pack all the kids, six of them, into a 12-seater van and drive 30 hours out to Yellowstone and the Tetons in order to be met with the comfort of camping. And so I, as a good husband, thought this will be hell on wheels. I was not looking forward to it at all, if I'm just being honest. And so we get into the van and all, all eight of us and we take the back seat out so we can pack it to the gills and we take the sleeping bags and we shove them all under the seat so there's no leg room. And I just am thinking, this is going to be miserable. And it ends up being amazing. I mean, seriously, it ends up being amazing. The trip went well. Uh, Courtney was a master with every bit of logistics, and they had games to play. We were hunting for license plates. They were, uh, we listened to a couple fun podcasts. It, it was truthfully, though, it was God's grace. It all went well. And we, we get to Yellowstone. We get to the Tetons where we camped the whole time, and, and we're in Yellowstone. And this is Yellowstone. It's like otherworldly there. That's a geyser behind us. There's these, these springs that get super hot and they're sulfuric. And, and so they're all these colors. It's amazing, right? And, and it, you've heard of the most famous uh, geyser, right? Old Faithful. 
Now, I just, I just always knew that it was the name of that guy. were old faithful. I never knew why. <laughs> you maybe know why. Uh, because every 45 minutes, like clock, clockwork, it goes off. So the, the bubbling and the pressure goes under, give or take 10 minutes, right? Uh, and, and this, this kind of, you see more bubbling and bubbling and bubbling, and then it starts shooting up, and then Old Faithful, boom, it explodes like 70 to 100-some feet up in the air. And you, you know, it's like clockwork. You can predict it. You can count on it. It's like, boom, and everyone's like, wow. Now, here's the thing. There are other geysers in the park that have a much more massive explosion that, in a sense, are like cooler, better, greater geysers. But the difference is you can't predict them. you got no idea when they're going to show up and do this or that or what it's going to look like, what it's going to be like. There's this one Grand Prismatics. This is amazing uh, kind of geyser. It's a, uh, it, 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 the last time, I think, it was 1985. And they're like, we got no idea when. It's, and it rained for like, I think, five days. It was exploding. I'm like, I hope we're not at Yellowstone when that occurs. Actually, the whole thing, they're not quite sure when it's all going to blow up, which is really comforting. <laughs> you can't predict it. But with Old Faithful, what happens is people just gather around. Look at that. That's like 10 a.m. We got there at 8 a.m. when no one was there except for this little crow. <laughs> and then Old Faithful explodes, and everyone kind of unprompted goes, Yeah! It's like they're clapping for the God they don't worship. It's really amazing because you just have to show gratitude in a moment like that when he just shows his grandeur and his predictability, his faithfulness, his goodness in this explosion, right? He's predictable. I love this about our God. He's faithful is what we call it. He is faithful and good. We can predict his goodness, his ability, his character, his faithfulness. But you cannot define it. We don't know his ways or why his ways are so good even in the brokenness of our lives. But here's what we know. He is faithful. He is loving. He is good. He is worthy of our worship even if our life is falling apart. But there's something even greater about him, I think. It's that he brings who he is to bear right in the intimacy and the presence of our lives. He is not just good and able, he is with us. I love how, how God rescues in this moment. He doesn't even put out the fire or remove them from the situation, he steps with them into the fire. See, all three are thrown bound. He's heated up. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar's heated up the furnace seven times, so much so that when his men go to throw uh, these three faithful God followers into the fire, uh, Nebuchadnezzar's men themselves burn to death. It's so hot. And the three are thrown in bound, and then verse 24 of chapter 3 in Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished. He rose up in haste. He declared to his counselors, didn't we cast three men bound in the fire? And they answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire. and They're not hurt, and their appearance of the fourth is like the son of the gods. 
It's what we call theophany, right? Uh, this moment that God appears uh, in, in, in the form of a man in the Old Testament shows himself. He steps into the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I love how King Nebuchadnezzar, uh, he summarizes this moment. He says it like this, for there is no other God who is able to save in this way. Verse 29, there is no other God who's able to save in this way. (laughs) He steps into the fire with them. See, our our first, our biggest problem is God himself, by the way. (laughs) That we are Nebuchadnezzar, right? We are the rebels. We are the ones saying, worship me, live for me. I'll find my satisfaction, my validation, my security, and other things, and you all better worship me, and I will find my life in the way I want it to be lived. And God says, no. But then he says in his son, as he steps into his own wrath, his son comes down and says, I will take the punishment in their place. I'll go into the fire and through the fire, and the wrath of God will be poured on me. And Jesus comes down and he takes our penalty. And so that so in every even if moment of our life, whenever anything is crumbling, when we don't get what we think we need, we can know Jesus is there with us in that moment, walking with us. Never to be forsaken because he himself was forsaken by his father. That we would be his sons and daughters no matter what happens in our lives or around us. He is with us He is able and He is good. How do we know it? We remember every week who He is and what He's done. See, I don't think this is an on-the-spot decision that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego make. I don't think they're just like, yeah, they got the gumption to worship their God. I think they have had their minds, their hearts, their lives shaped day in and day out by the worship of the one true God. Which is why it's so critical, no matter what the fall holds for you, that we are reminded week in and week out that we are walking into that fire. For some of it's us, it's a fire with our God. How do we know it? Because his body was broken, his blood was spilled. That the good, able God would be with us, making us sons and daughters of his. I don't know what you're stepping into this fall, but you are not stepping into it alone. He is with you. And he is good and he is able. So if you're a son or daughter of the one true king, our God, because of Christ, would you worship him this morning? Would you tune your minds and your hearts to worship him? Would you bow down to him this morning, embrace him with your allegiance and your love? And if you're not, don't take communion this morning, but receive Jesus. Talk to him. Receive him in prayer. Thank him for what he's done for you. That his body was broken, his blood was spilled to take the penalty of your sin and make you a son or a daughter of his. Let's take and eat together, remembering who our God is and vowing today to worship him even if it all falls apart this fall. Because <laughs> sometimes he shows up with a mighty miracle like he does in this passage. And sometimes he walks with us through the fire. Let's take and eat together.